Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. We are still in 1 Peter, and we are still in chapter 1. We've been looking at our salvation. We looked at the importance of rejoicing our salvation. Earlier, we talked about eternity in the first part of this chapter. And then last week, we looked at rejoicing on our refining as as God takes us as believers through the fire, we can actually find joy in that situation. Today we're going to celebrate our salvation. It's an interesting portion of scripture that usually is just read right over, passed right over, but I want us to focus on it for a little while. But I'm going to ask my wife to come up here first. And she's going to help me fix this microphone. So y'all, uh, when she does it, it works. When I do it, it jumps around. So that's it. That's all you had to do? Turn that way. All right. Thank you, babe. Uh, Oh, boy. Um, Where were we? Did she just curtsy? Okay. That's what I thought happened. (laughs) The Bible says, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10 why we can celebrate this great salvation. Concerning this salvation that Peter's already been talking about, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, You as the readers, and ultimately us. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it's interesting, he closes that that statement with this. Angels desire to look into these things. The The salvation that we've been given in Christ is so incredible that angels even long to discover what redemption is all about. Well, I've listed several reasons from this passage, six in all the reasons for us to celebrate this great salvation. So let's look at the first one. We celebrate this because it is the demonstration of God's grace. The salvation that we have in Christ Jesus is the demonstration of God's grace. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets prophesied about the grace that would come to you. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates or God proves his own love for you in this, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We know this verse 23, but I want to read this whole section here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that we've all sinned. Verse 24. They are justified freely. How? By his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
God presented him, Christ, as a propitiation or an offering through faith in his blood to demonstrate, there's that word demonstrate again, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God overlooks those sins because of the blood of Christ. They've been covered by the blood. God presented him, again, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Christ. Isn't that incredible? God says so clearly, we've sinned, we need a savior, we need redemption, and the gospel is that God demonstrated that. He loved us by sending his only son. The first reason we rejoice is because God demonstrated grace to us when we needed it. All have sinned, that's every one of us, and fall short of the glory of God. You know another way to say that is? You don't measure up, you need grace. You don't measure up, you need grace. That's a lesson we try to teach our kids growing up. When they would blow it, there was often consequences, but sometimes we would say, today, you get grace. God says to us, because of the love of God for us, we get grace. Back in the early 1900s, Ernest Shackleton led an expedition to the South Pole and had to stop about 100 miles short, and they weren't able to complete that mission. Some incredible books have been written, even some great photojournalism about that event. But as they, were, as they were struggling towards those last days, the, the crew was huddled up. They would get in their sleeping bags at night, and they would shiver, have restless nights. And they had a, a, a ration each day of, of hardtack, just a, a hard biscuit that they would put in each man's sack, and that would be their ration for the day. And some of those men would eat those biscuits, the hardtack with tea, and, and they'd melt the snow and make tea and eat their hardtack. But some of them saved it, and one night Shackleton was restless in his sleeping bag, and he looked up, and he saw one of the members of his crew who he thought was the most honorable, honest guy sitting there, getting up out of his sleeping bag, reaching over to the, the, the sack of his neighbor, his partner there in the, in the camp, and he thought, what's going on here? And what was happening was this trusted sailor, this trusted explorer was taking the hardtack out of his bag and putting it in the bag of another person who was more needy than he was. And Shackleton said, that guy demonstrated to me that he really was the honorable guy I thought he was. I thought he was stealing from the other guy's pack. He was putting his in there to give that guy an extra ration. That's what God did for us. He just made it clear to us that he is who he said he is, that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that he will provide, that he will meet our needs. We celebrate this great salvation because God demonstrated his grace for us. Secondly, we celebrate this great salvation because it was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. It was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They prophesied, they told what was to happen in the future by the Spirit of God. They searched it, they carefully investigated it. Verse 11 says, they inquired into what time or what circumstance the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. Here's what, here's what Peter says, the Old Testament prophets longed to know the details about when Messiah would come. They longed to know the circumstances. They longed to know when it would happen and how it would come about because they prophesied about the Messiah. They prophesied about Christ coming. I love what Peter says in verse 18. Just kind of jump ahead. 
in this chapter one. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but look at verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, like that lamb, that of a lamb without defect or blemish, he was chosen before the foundation of the world, what was revealed at the end of the times for you. Now we'll look at that more next time. Maybe we'll get that far next time, I'm not sure. But here's what what Peter says, Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. You know what that says to me? He's God's plan. It was all God's plan. It was all God's timing. The cross wasn't plan B. Jesus didn't lose his life. He gave his life. God the Father didn't wring his hands and say, oh no, what am I going to do? He already planned in eternity past to send Christ the Messiah for us. Now, Look at that context. That's when the prophets were preaching and teaching. They were teaching. We know that God has a plan for redemption, and he's going to be the Messiah. God will take care of our sins one day. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know all the details, but we long to. We look into those things. I love the story in Luke chapter 24. Remember, after Jesus uh, rose from the grave, he's walking along the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. And the Bible says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself. And their hearts were were renewed and revived when they discovered it. Jesus went back to the prophets and taught those people, those men, the the couple, what exactly Messiah, when Messiah had come and how it was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. In Matthew chapter 13, he says, "This this is what the righteous people longed for. They long to see it. It's interesting. I was looking at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel uh, gives this incredible prophecy, and then the next word says, the next phrase says, he didn't understand it. He was preaching. He was proclaiming what God's Holy Spirit was giving him, but he didn't understand it. Here's what Peter says. The prophets didn't understand the details, but they longed to. They desired to. By the way, in the Old Testament, a person was saved just like we are. It's by faith in the cross. See, an Old Testament person came to know Christ by looking ahead to the cross. We come to know Christ by looking back at the cross. It's still the cross is where salvation happens. And the Old Testament prophets were prophesying that. They were longing to look into it. They just didn't know the details. It was predicted. New York Times occasionally asks famous authors and uh, publishers about reviews and stuff that people are reading they asked Judd Apatow, who's a, a, a director of some movies, they, they asked questions like, what's your favorite book? What are you reading? What's your favorite novel of all time? And one of the questions they asked Judd in one of the recent interviews was, what book do you feel you were supposed to like, but you didn't? Immediately, you know what he answered? The Bible. This is what he said. He said, the Bible, it's just not working for me. I wish it was. Wouldn't it be great if it all did work out for me and I had the peace that one gets when knowing the universe is just and kind and guided by eternal intelligence? And then he says, maybe I'm reading it all wrong. He was. People do. The prophet said, here's the truth. We want it to be understood. Folks, God gives us his word. The prophets predicted it and his his prophecies became fulfilled. Thirdly, we celebrate because it's revealed to us by God. Don't miss that. It's revealed to us. The great salvation, the gospel, is revealed to us by God. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, those who proclaimed it, that they were not serving themselves but you. God's Holy Spirit revealed God's plan of salvation to the prophets and to us. 
Van Morris tells a story about when he was a kid, he bought his first metal detector. He went and the salesman was, was a, a seasoned veteran at hunting for metal with a metal detector. And he told me, he said, I want to teach you two lessons. Number one, if you find something like a coin, there's going to be more there. So keep, keep searching. Then he said, second lesson is this. If somebody tells you that something's been searched, it hasn't. You'll still find something there. He said that's what he learned in using his metal detector and searching for hidden treasure. And I'd say the same thing for Scripture. If you think you've read it and you think you're done, you're not done. If you think I've explored all there is to know about the gospel, all there is to know about a relationship with God, you haven't. There's more to be known. That's why Peter says the prophets long to look into it. Those who proclaimed it long to look into it. Even angels do. Completely revealed to us. In Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to go ahead and read that. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to read it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. This is the great confession of Peter. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's saying, who do people say I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. He goes on to say, Peter, you're going to be known as the rock. By the way, as Jesus continues to talk, Peter questions that Jesus is going to have to die for him. But I love the fact that as Peter proclaims, you're the Messiah, Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. That's one of the incredible things about the gospel. Peter is saying that it was revealed to us by God himself. It was the unveiling, letting us know the truth by the prophets. By the way, there's a great passage in 2 Peter, the very next book in your Bible, chapter 1, verse 20, about how the prophets gave us the truth. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 20. Yeah, I'll start in verse 20. First of all, you know this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter. Those prophets proclaimed what God gave them to proclaim. It wasn't their, it wasn't their uh, something they thought of themselves. It wasn't their own mind. It was God's Holy Spirit speaking to them, leading them to deliver the truth about who Messiah was to be. That's incredible to me. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon those prophets and rested on them for those, those times of proclaiming. In the New Testament, God's Holy Spirit resides within us. He's permanently living within us. But he says those prophets were given the word of God by the Spirit. It's incredible. Think of the unity of Scripture. Think of the, the, the glory of our salvation that was proclaimed and revealed by God through the prophets. You have this, this incredible, what we call now our Bible, the Word of God. 66 books, over 40 different writers, over 1,500 years, still a unified, constant theme, exactly as God wanted it to be. And it is God's Word without error. So he said, I don't understand how God's word is without error, and yet God chose men. And the best analogy that I've been given, that, I, that just resonates with me, 
is the analogy of being on a cruise. I've never been on one. I may never go on one because I get seasick. But on a cruise, the boat leaves the, leaves the port and it has its destination. Maybe it's going to Cozumel. So the, the cruise ship leaves Houston, Galveston, heading to Cozumel. And while I'm on that cruise, I have the freedom to move along that cruise boat anywhere I want, as long as it's not restricted. I can go to any deck. I can go up, down. I can swim. I can rock climb, do whatever on that boat and do anything I want. But that boat is going to end up at Cozumel. That's the destination. Okay, that makes sense? God used his prophets to write the word of God and used the, those others who wrote scripture the same way. That he used their temperament, their personality, their background, everything about them to communicate truth, but ultimately the destination that he wanted was exactly where he wanted it to be, the word of God. God used them to communicate. He revealed it to us. Number four, our salvation is great because it was proclaimed to us, proclaimed to us by the faithful who were faithful to share the gospel with us. That's the good news. Verse 12, these things have now been announced or proclaimed to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The writer of Romans in chapter 10, is Paul writes, how can they call on him who they've not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sinned? And then he, he concludes it this way, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce or preach the gospel of good things. One of the incredible things about the gospel is God chose to communicate it to us through others. You know, he could have, he could have just announced it with, in our age, the digital age, with a digital billboard. This is it. But he says, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invest my life through Jesus Christ in these 12 disciples, and I'm going to let them tell others who in turn will tell others who will tell others, and I'm going to let them be the ones who proclaim the gospel. One of the incredible things about it is God uses frail, broken instruments to communicate his truth. Well, that's one of the things that amazes me about the, the role that God has called me to, that he would use me to preach the gospel. He could do it a whole lot better other ways. But you know what? He chose to use me. By the way, he chooses to use you too. For you to be the one who proclaims the word. You have to stand up in a pulpit, but you share Christ with others. And that's one of the special things about the gospel. It is to be shared. You know why? Because it is the good news. How many of you just love to share good news? Probably all of us. I'm not going to ask how many of you love to share bad news. That's a few of us. But good news ought to be automatic. It ought to be something we want to share with other people. The gospel Shared, proclaimed through those who are faithful. Years ago, Bishop John Taylor Smith was a, a chaplain in the British Army. He had an opportunity to preach in a large cathedral. That's when the Anglican church was very big. And he's preaching on the text, you must be born again. And he goes through this, this application of the text and he says, he says, there is no substitute for the new birth. You must be born again. He said, you might be a member of a church, but that doesn't make any difference. You must be born again. He says, you may be a, a, an important member in the church, but it doesn't make any difference. You must be born again. There's an archdeacon, a, a high official in the Anglican church. City. He said, you may be the archdeacon. It doesn't matter. You must be born again. And then he says, you may be um, a bishop like me. It doesn't matter. You must be born again. Everybody must be born again. So he preached that sermon. A few days later, he got a letter from the archdeacon who said, you found me out. I've been in the church all my life. I've been missing something. I didn't know what it was. 
It's that I needed to be born again. And by the way, he ended up leading that archdeacon to Christ because he didn't know him personally. See, that's the privilege we have to share the gospel with people who don't know him personally. And don't take it for granted because a person is churched or maybe a person is a, in a place of, of, of uh, uh, notoriety within the church that they don't need to understand you must be born again. I need to move on. Number five, we celebrate this great salvation because it involves the sufferings and the glories of Christ. The sufferings and the glories of Christ. Look with me at verse 11 again. They inquired into what time or circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and to the glories that would follow. Important phrase. Now, these prophets are writing about a day when God's going to save the world through the Messiah. And they're excited about that. You read the Psalms. Many of the Psalms point to that. Most of the prophetic ministry points to that in the Old Testament. That one day God's going to save the world. And they're excited about that. But when Peter says they, they looked into the glories and the sufferings of the Messiah, where does he get that? I want you to hold that place and look at uh, Isaiah chapter 53 with me. Now, I want you to imagine, if you can, that you're Isaiah, and God's Holy Spirit is giving you these words. This is your message. You're, you're proclaiming this message about the Messiah, and you're looking forward to the Messiah who's going to rule and reign. Chapter 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Again, as Isaiah's writing, he knows him as the Messiah, but he doesn't know the details. Then God gives him these words. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment and who considered his fate. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and the rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities." Now, I read that whole passage because I love it, but can you imagine Isaiah getting these words from the Lord and communicating that to his people and thinking, I'm looking forward to the glory when we're going to have a celebration of Messiah and ultimately be in the kingdom. I'm looking forward to that, but God's given me this word about suffering and brokenness and sin and death. One of the things that is incredible to me is that our Savior endured that for us. By the way, if you know your Bible, 
as I read that, could you think of all the, old, the New Testament fulfillments of much of what I read? Oh, my goodness. Isaiah, not knowing what he's doing, he described the crucifixion, didn't he? He described the trial. He described it all. That's one of the things that, to me, is, is incredible, that I can celebrate that the Savior was willing to go through that for me, that I could come to know him personally. Paul wrote about it in Philippians chapter 2, where he talked about well, I'm going to look at Philippians 2. We got time to do it? Well, I'm going to make time to do it. We've looked at this passage recently. Listen to this, this description of what Jesus did for us. He existed, verse 6, in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Did he not just describe what Isaiah described in chapter 53? The emptying of Christ, the word of God, eternally the word of God coming in the person of Jesus Christ that he could give his life for us and die in our place. I, I celebrate the fact that Jesus was willing to do that for me. Because of my sin, he was willing to do that for me. But I love the glories. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 2, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That's the sufferings. That's the glory. That's what the, the prophets couldn't figure out. That's what they longed to look into. They had this picture of suffering, and it didn't fit their understanding of what glory would be, but they go together. And Peter says they knew that there was something about it, but they couldn't connect the dots completely. He died in our place. He suffered for us. Philip Yancey tells a story about a man in Paraguay, he was an outspoken doctor and spoke against the government, and to get back at him, the government kidnapped his son and brutally tortured him and beat him, and he died in prison. And at the young man's funeral, the father chose to make a statement, so he displayed his son's body on the bloody mattress that they found him on from the prison, and they just let him be there as people passed by and they saw the bruises and the brokenness and the cigarette burns that the, the guards had done to him. And here's what, here's what he said to those who wanted to protest. Basically, what he was saying was, this is going to be a demonstration of what my son went through. I'm going to put that on display. I thought, that's the cross, isn't it? When I read Isaiah chapter 53, when I read the first part of Philippians 2, when I go to the Gospels and read one of those Gospel accounts of what Jesus did for me, it puts on display what he did for us. Go all the way back to the first part there. To demonstrate his love. And lastly, Peter adds this at the last part of verse 12. Angels desire to look into these things. Number six, it is a mystery to the angels. Now, that doesn't sound like a, a big deal, but I want you to think about that. Angels desire to look into these things. Angels, heavenly beings. As you read through Scripture, this, this incredible opportunity to worship around the throne and to be, to, to be uh, ambassadors, messengers to come to earth, to, to give messages throughout Scripture, 
They still don't understand what it's like to be redeemed. They still don't get it because God didn't redeem them like he did us. There's this mystery that he reveals through the gospel. I have a friend who's a pastor now. He shared his testimony with me one day. He was searching his whole life as a young man. And he was going to a, a church that had, had statues everywhere. And he, he walked in one day searching, seeking, praying God to show him the way, the truth. And because he'd been through religious service after religious service, and he bumped a, a, a pedestal that had a statue on it. And I can't remember which statue it was, but it was one of the saints. And it fell over and he caught it. And he was glad he caught it because he would have been in trouble if he hadn't. And he set it back up there. And he said, as he, as he caught that and set that back up there, he said, this isn't what it's all about. This isn't what salvation is. It's not about this statue. It's not about worshiping that. There's more to this. And he, that event so opened his eyes to the gospel that salvation is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He came to know Christ, and he proclaims the truth today. You know why? Because his eyes were opened. The Bible says it's such an incredibly powerful, deep, even mysterious thing that the God of eternity would send his one and only son to die on a cross for you in your place to take on the penalty and punishment for your sin so that you could be forgiven. I'm glad that we know the, the mystery. I'm glad that God's revealed that to us through Christ. If you have not met him, I want you to celebrate his salvation by meeting him. Again, we've read these passages today. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody falls short of God's standard. You cannot be good enough to get into heaven. Listen, if you could be good enough to get into heaven, then Jesus died in vain. Think about that. If you could be good enough, then why did Jesus die? You can answer that question. The answer is you can't be. That's why he died. And if you will believe that he died for you, for your sins, and be willing to turn from your sins, that word is repent, to turn from sin and turn to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, forgive me of my sin, take control of my life, you can be saved. We would love to help you with that decision today. If you're a believer, celebrate your salvation. It's amazing. If you don't know him as Savior, we want you to come to know him today. Let's pray together.